Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. On this episode of Narcissist Apocalypse, we talk with an abuse survivor named Storm, and Storm was raised by a narcissistic mother who distorted her reality. It's a story of doubt sowing, identity issues, being used, and realizing you're in the twilight zone. Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse, everyone. I am Brandon Chadwick, and with me today, we have Storm. How are you? Hi, I'm doing really well. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you for being here today. And if everyone who is listening wants to be a guest like Storm is today, please do go to our website at NarcissistApocalypse.com. Top of the page, there's a button that says Guest Form. When you click on that button, there's all of these instructions. Please read the instructions. Then send us an email at NarcissistApocalypse at gmail.com or fill out our Guest Form. Press the Submit button and everything will move on from there. So today we have Storm with us. And Storm was raised by a... Uh, narcissistic parent. Uh, they had these traits, and uh, the thing is, uh, sometimes when you're living in a world that is maybe not a true reality, it's really difficult to figure these things out until you eventually leave the home, and other factors come into play and you know going out and seeing the world and then maybe coming back to the world in which you once inhabited you eventually start to see that things aren't as they seem and that is what happened with you storm and i just want to thank you for being here with us today and now without further ado Storm, the floor is now yours. Thank you. Um, yeah, like as you, as you mentioned, you know, it, it's interesting when you, when you grow up in this world, you know, you're, when, you're, when you're a child, your parents are the ones that really shape your reality. They shape your identity. They, they affirm 
your identity. They tell you what's right, what's not. They talk to you about how society is going to accept you. And that is, I mean, that's just a normal part of the human experience, you know. Um, but when you, when, you're, when you grow up and your parent, in my case, was my mother, um, is my mother, um, as a narcissist, you know, they, it, your viewpoint can be very skewed. So just to sort of, I guess, set the stage for you. Um, so I um, originally uh, from Chicago, and um, I grew up with um, an older brother, and um, we also went on later on to adopt uh, my older sister. My father, my mother and my father divorced um, when I was only about two years old. So, um, and he just sort of took his leave of absence after that, I suppose. Uh, so I didn't really have much of a relationship with my, with my father. Um, and I, you know, he's kind of in and out of my life a little bit. He was more in my brother's life because he's like, you know, I guess a young man needs a father. So I guess the young girl didn't, but that's neither here nor there. But anyway, so all that to say is my dad was sort of just not in the picture as much as I think he should have been. So I was primarily with my mom. I, I don't know much about my mom um, because the way that she talks about herself is very different from the way that I hear her being talked about, if that makes any sense. Um, so what I do know, of course, is that so my mom is the middle child of five. And so there's a family of five, and my mother had both of her parents. My grandparents were, were married. Uh, my grandfather also passed the same year my parents got divorced which I'm sure played into that a little bit, but I don't know my grandfather pretty much at all. But they grew up, you know, very um, middle to, like, upper middle class, um, which particularly for, you know, black people living in Chicago was kind of, um, you know, back in those days, was you know, there weren't a lot of that. There wasn't a lot of them. Um, and so they were very – my mother went to boarding school for a little while in – middle school, which, again, also under very interesting circumstances, like why was she the one that was sent away when no one else was? But, you know, there's different schools of thought on that. Because, again, no one really in my family, like the way that I talk about my mom is like everyone knows that something's always just been off about her, but no one wants to really talk about what that is or why that is. But everybody knows like something about her is just different and not right. Like they all talk about that. Uh, so that's why I say, like, I don't, when my mother tells me stories about herself, she's, of course, always the victor in her story. She's the one always doing right. But when I hear my grandmother and my aunt talk about my mom, apparently my mom was like, I would have loved to know this mom. She was, like, boy crazy. She was, like, going to parties. She was, like, sneaking boys into the house. She was, like, you know, this is an awesome story that my, my grandmother told me once about her having to, like, go into a bar to, like, find my mom who, like, got into the bar when she was underage and, like, pull her off the bar if she was talking to some guy. Like, I would have loved to know that mom. But the one that the, this version of my mother that I've always gotten, that my siblings that I have always gotten, has been very sanitized, perfect person. Like, she even lies about the college she went to. Like, <laughs> I'm like, you know, like, you didn't graduate from there. Like, it's, it's wild to me. Like, I'm like, you know, you are going to college and having an advanced degree is an accomplishment in and of itself. Like, why lie about where you went? But, so, yeah, I, so that's why it's difficult, I think, for me to know exactly what she was like before me because I, I hear one side from her that's very different from what I hear 
from my aunts and my grandmother. <laughs> you know, growing up, I, you know, I, as the youngest of three, and it, it was just, I just never, I always just remembered feeling different for some reason. Um, and I just remember always, like, the biggest message I think that I got from being a child really was that the world, I needed to perform to be accepted in the world. Like, I, like every time I would visit, like, especially if I visit my dad's side of the family, like, my mother was very particular about what she dressed me in and how she like, when you go over there and make sure you say this and don't do that and wear this. It was like I had to be coached every single time I, like, before I got out of the car, before I saw my own family. It was, it was very much like, and I, and I, I don't know, it was just very much like there's certain things that you just don't do in front of people. Like, you have to always, and to some degree, like, yes, I think it's, a, like, I grew up with very good manners. I was always very well-mannered. I was always very articulate. I always spoke very well. Um, and I appreciate that. And those are things that I think every child should have. But for me, it, it, just, it just went a step further. It made me feel like I couldn't just be myself with my own family members. You know, it was always like you have to dress, act, and do certain things. Um, and if you didn't do those things, if they were just, you know, like they wouldn't accept you or they wouldn't care about you or they wouldn't love you or they would be hurt or they would, you know, it would always be some sort of a, consequence if I were to just be. For me, at least, like, especially as I got older, like, I realized that I, I do have a good ability to, like, read a situation and assess a situation and adjust my behavior accordingly. And I think in what, you know, I know we'll talk more about this, but I think what that robbed me of was, like, the, rea- the ability to trust my interpretation of the room, my ability to see what's before me and to adjust. Um, you know, because, and because of that, like, you know, I, I, I was worried that the way that I saw things was wrong. Because I'm like, well, I think I can just go over to my, you know, aunt's house, or to my grandmother's house and just, you know, be a kid and say what I want to say and do whatever. But no, apparently I can't do that. Um, and, and I just remember, like, and she would say stuff like that to me. Like, you know, she's just like, you know, you might think. Like, she always say about my friends, too. Like, you might think that so-and-so is really your friend, but, you know, they're actually going to be really jealous of you or, you know, they, they're they really not – you can't rely on them like that. And you can't – you know, like, and she was always saying that. She was like, you know, it's impolite if you don't do exactly what I'm telling you to do. It's going to be it's gonna be seen as impolite. And I'm like, well, I don't want to be impolite, you know. Um, like, I've always been very caring about other people, and I've always been a very emotional person. Like, I'm a stereotypical cancer, uh, very emotional, very moody. Um, and those are the things that, you know, but I feel like because of that, I'm able to empathize with people. But I think my mother didn't see that as a strength. She saw it as a weakness. And she basically, and I know I'm kind of getting into something else now. Now I'm going off on a tangent. Um, <laughs> But, you know, I think she saw that as a weakness of mine rather than a strength. And so she wanted to be able to dictate that, like dictate my emotions and dictate how I'm feeling and told me I was too sensitive. And I'm, you know, people are going to be mean to me in the world and, you know, I need to be able to take it and like, you know, stuff like that. So, like, I think all of that is also wrapped up in um, in allowing people, allowing children to have autonomy 
and, and having choice and having the ability to, to just be themselves and interpret the world and all that. So, so far with what you told us, I've been writing down notes here, you know, gaslighting your feelings Gaslighting how you interact with your friends is really interesting. At Ooh, at, at, God, at, yeah. at such a very <laughs> young age to have a parent gaslight how you're interacting and what your friends might be thinking and what you should be doing, that's really powerful uh, for you going forward as far as doubting everyone you're meeting, doubting yourself. Um, it, it, during this time, you know, she's also minimizing your feelings and minimizing, I am sure that there's justifications and rationalizations in there as well. But the one thing I kind of have circled here is abandonment and just to move away from your mom for one second and with your dad not being there and when your dad is that he's doing things with your brother is your mom because I don't know is your mom reinforcing the fact that like you that she is your only person I'm here to protect you and uh, no one else is can't you see that I am the only one this other person could have stepped up but they didn't, I did anything. Is that what's happening or am I way off? So here's what happens with that. And that's where I'm really glad you brought that up because I think that it contributes to everything. Um, so my, the relationship between my parents, um, and I always find it funny that they've been divorced for over 30 years and neither one of them has been married because I feel like neither one of them will ever be with anybody but each other because they'll, they're the ones that'll put up with each other's crazy. But, um, cause my dad has his own brand kind of crazy, but that's a different podcast. Um, I feel like, um, so my, one thing I will say to my mother that she's never done, um, is that she never like chased after my father for child support or anything. Cause my dad never paid child support. Um, and she never did that. I guess in her way to just like, you know, of her own, uh, he's doing these things with his own volition, but he tells the story very differently. He feels like when I, when I confront my dad about like, why are you only see, like you have two children and like, you, you know, I'm yours. Oh, just like him. Like I, <laughs> you can't deny me if you wanted to. Um, but, um, it, you know, he's like, your mother kept you close to her. Your mother wouldn't allow me to see you. Your mother was the one that kept pushing me away. And I don't know what it's like to be married to her. I mean, I hear, I've listened to your podcast before. I've listened to people that have been married to narcissists before. So maybe that was something that my dad was experiencing in their marriage to her. And actually there is a, a rumor going around my family that before my parents got married, my great aunt, my mother's aunt, told my dad to not marry her because, again, everyone knows that something is wrong with my mother, but no one wants to address it or talk about it. But she, was, she told my dad, you probably don't want to marry her. There's something off about her. And my dad is, like, you know, young and in love. Like, I love her. It doesn't matter. Um, and, again, I'm not giving my dad any 
any leeway here because at the end of the day, you, no matter what happened, you still allowed this woman to keep you. If you claim it happened the way that you claim, you still allowed her to gaslight you and manipulate you to keep you away from your child. And I do not appreciate that. Um, but um, going back to the, in, in the house, the thing that really hurt me with my dad only seeing my brother for whatever reason is that my brother was the golden child of the family. So everything that my brother did, he's the oldest grandchild on both sides of my family. Even to this day, actually, I just gave a speech at his wedding, and I made a whole speech, like, laughing about all the ways in which none of us exist because my brother is, like, God. Um, But, like, even to this day, it's like my brother is just everything, and he owns it now, and he knows that my brother and I have a great relationship. Um, But I always felt like I was never as good as my brother. And my mother would reinforce that, you know, always like, oh, your brother does this and your brother does that, and you do everything exactly the way your brother does it. Like, all the time, I just kept hearing, like, he went to this school, so I go to this school. He went, he does this, so I do this. He was in this sports club, so I'm in this school. Everything that he, even if I didn't want to do it, it matters. My interest didn't matter. It's like, he was the mold. He was the perfect boy. So it made it worse that my dad was only seeing him um, and not me, because then it's like, what's wrong with me? And then, and that was, and so to your point there, like, my mom is saying, well, that's just his choice. Well, that's just what, you know, your dad is doing. You know, I don't know. You got to ask him why he's not coming to see you. But then my dad is saying, your mother, your mother kept me from you. Um, so I, I don't know. I, 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 I mean, I, so I kind of blame them both at this point. Um, cause like, <laughs> I, I don't know. Um, cause I do believe that somewhere in there might, there, I think they both have a little bit of truth. I think, my mother is a formidable force because everyone in my family just kowtows to her. So, of course, my dad probably did too. So, my, so I do believe my mother is a very formidable woman. Um, and, you know, she's very good at manipulation and very good at getting her way. But I also don't appreciate the fact that my dad just sort of, my mom says boo and he went away. So, I don't know. <laughs> and how did that speech go over at your brother's wedding? Oh my God. It was a big hit. Um, <laughs> I, um, they loved it. My brother loved it. Uh, it, it, I actually started with, you know, like the, I think the very first line was like, you know, I was like, hi everyone. You know, uh, my name, my name is Storm. I'm happy to meet you. If I haven't met you before, you might know me by my actual name, which is, Oh, you have a little sister. <laughs> Everybody laughed and, uh, but yeah, it, it was a big hit, and you know, it was just, and also at my brother's wedding, which is the last, the only time, the only time in my memory where me, my dad, and my mom, and my brother were all together in the same room, <laughs> and like in the same row because of the wedding. And then immediately once the ceremony ended, we dispersed. Like they, we didn't sit at the same tables for um, the reception. Like I. I Literally, like, have never seen in life. So let's go backwards from the wedding to 20 years ago, I guess, all the way back then. Back to, you know, dealing with your mom and, you know, what you were going through as far as the, I don't know if it's a cognitive dissonance back then because... 
at that point, I don't know if there's two parts of you fighting against each other or two belief systems, but why, you know, really, there's, well, there is no cognitive dissonance. Why wouldn't you believe what your mom is saying? I mean, she's the one that's taking care of you and she's coming off as competent. Uh, her lies, uh, you're not experienced in her lies yet. So you don't know right. how deep they go. They go. Um, right. So at this point, you know, your mom has crafted a reality for you. Your mom has been able to sow the seeds of doubt in you. Your mom has been able to sow the seeds of doubt uh, of other people as far as trust goes. Uh, your mom is the person you would go to if there was a problem. Your ability to be yourself is not there. You are doing things to either gain love, acceptance, security, things along those lines because everything is conditional. And you're really running off of a fear of those things being taken away, obligations to your family, and guilt if these things uh, aren't done the way that they are, or maybe just guilt as far as maybe b better word is shame or being shamed uh, in, in, into a lot of these uh, things. And that even goes into, uh, you know, life lessons as far as, um, you know, ones like as far as uh, manners and, and things like that that are things other family other families do as well these lessons are there as well you're just being taught them in uh the wrong way if that makes sense makes total sense and yeah so you're being you're you're being shaped as a um really good child and accepted by the outside world but it's, you know, in a strange way, you know, someone can code software and they can code software and it runs and it runs just like everyone wants it to run. And then, uh, but as someone who codes it can code it um, in, a, in, a, in a poor way and then someone that codes it can code it in a, in a, in a good way. And you were coded to run just like another program would run, but the coding that you were given and that was done was bad coding and that coding can break. And that's you. And I, and I broke, um, <laughs> I did, like I, you know, to your earlier point, like I, I, it was a bit of a difference. Like I, you know, I knew how to, I knew how to behave in the way that she wanted me to behave. I knew as soon as I was in her presence, I knew how to switch it on and switch it off. Um, I loved going to school. Um, I was always a good student. Um, loved school, loved learning. Still do. You know, I have a master's now. Like, I've always loved school. Um, and my mother, being an educator herself, um, you know, was always very big on school, big on education. Like, my mother's whole thing is, like, you were reading, you know, chapter books at three years old. You were, you know, just very, like, talking about all these things that I was doing, like, you, you know, you're smart, this, and so I'm like, yes, yes, I'm smart, I know that. Like, I had, like, I had to get the grades. It was like, there was nothing 
there was no other expectation. But I mean, again, I probably would have done that anyway. But I think a lot of times I just I did a lot of these things because it, it felt like there was no other option. <laughs> like if I didn't, if I struggled, that was a problem because my brother didn't struggle. Your brother is doing amazing. My brother is amazing. Like I want to give back. He's an amazing person. He's accomplished so much in his life. But it was always like you have to be as good as him at everything. And um, and so I did. But going to school was I. So I loved school at the same time, even though it was kind of like pressure. But I loved it because I felt more free there. Um, I remember little things like when I was a teenager, like um. You know, when I would come home from school and nobody would be there, that was my favorite time. You know, because, like, when I was in high school, my brother was off to college, um, and my sister had been – my sister was a scapegoat. I've learned these terminologies. Listen to your show. My sister was a scapegoat. My sister was adopted, and that's the whole other thing. My We were a foster family, and we used to have, you know, foster kids in uh, the house a lot, which sounds like a very honest and charitable thing. But my mother, what I was basically witnessing, what I realized later on was actually child abuse, the way my mother treated them. Um, it wasn't it wasn't good. And so my sister was actually one of those adopted people, and my, my mom just didn't really care what happened to her. So I think at this time my sister was living with a friend or something. She wasn't living with us. Um, but anyway, so I would come home from school, and, like, nobody would be there. I would love that. Like, I would be, like, in the living room watching TV, playing video games, like, whatever, whatever, whatever. But as soon as my mother came home, I immediately went upstairs and went in my room and closed the door. Like, immediately. Every single time. Like, I just, and I, and I, it didn't, I didn't realize, like, for a while, I was like, why do I do that? Why don't I just continue if I'm playing video games or just continue, you know, watching, I don't know, TRL or whatever? Like, why, why can't I just continue doing that? Why do I immediately, like, I, you know, I, I, I hear her come in, I say hello, and I just go upstairs and close the door. Um. So I, I, I don't know. Um, I, I felt like two different people. I felt like I, I, I got cool. I could be myself and I could, but again, this, it didn't feel real to me. I felt like I was playing a different character at school because again, like a lot of my, one of the tone about my friends, my friends are my world. Like I, I just want to put that out there. Like my friends, I have the best friends in the entire universe. Like, sorry, listeners, if anybody's listening, like, my friends are better than yours. Like, I have incredible friends. <laughs> like, they, and, like, one of my close friends I've been friends with for 20 years, and um, and I've met her, actually, in high school, and I remember my mother always saying, like, you know, just, again, just, like, you think these people love you, you think that they're, you know, but they, you know, they actually don't, like, you know, you think this teacher really likes you like that, and I hope that they do, and but, you know, it, it may not be that way. And, and I was also not able to ever give myself a compliment ever. Like, if I ever said, like, hey, you know, like, you know, the, my teacher wants me to help people with public speaking because I'm a really good public speaker. She's like, okay, Erica, like, don't get conceited now. So we're going to think you're conceited if you keep acting like that. And I'm like, <laughs> is it conceited to say that I'm the best public speaker in the, in the class if, like, I am the best public speaker in the class? Like, is that a bad thing to like, I was never able to say that I'm the best at this or I'm good at this or I'm great at this because my mother saw that as conceit and that she would tell me that I would be conceited. So I always had to have someone else validate it. So rather than me saying it, I'd say, oh, my teacher said this. My teacher said I, I, I'm like this or my friend or classmate or whomever. I could never say this of myself. Um, so, yeah, so it, it just having that, 
so in, in having this separation all the time, I became depressed, and I didn't recognize that depression until later. Um, and when I was 16, I did have a suicide attempt. I, um, I just got so caught up in my head and in the darkness of everything. Um, and I just felt like, again, that like nobody loved me. I just never felt like anybody loved me because I always have to be a different, I always have to perform for everyone. And the funny thing is, I actually like performing. Like, I love being on stage. I love, like, I want, I've always wanted to act and dance and sing and all that stuff. My mother never supported it because she just thought that she's like, those people don't get real jobs. So, like, I was never actually able to do that. Um, except I did dance a little bit. She was okay with dance for a little while until it became annoying to her. But, um, but that's the other part. I actually love being on stage and I love performing. I love entertaining people. So, like, but I didn't want to do that in life, <laughs> you know. Um, so I think the the weight of it was just too much. Um, so, you know, sorry for the content warning. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I did. Like, I, I had a, an attempt. And I, um, and I always contemplated suicide even after my – I ingested a lot of pills and ended up just ended up getting, getting sick and just vomiting it up. Nobody knew. And the funny thing is I didn't tell anyone. And I still convinced myself that I was only doing this to get attention because those are sort of, those are sort of messages my mother would say. Like, you know, you're not really, like, anytime I would do anything that I like to do, like, let's say, like, I got, like, a pair of jeans or something that I really loved because I was trying to, you know, like, you know, change my style a little bit and be, you know, a free teenager. Like, if I, or if I acted a certain way or said something that made me feel like me, she'd be like, oh, you're, that's not really you. You're only doing that because you got those jeans on. And I'm like, what? Like, what does that even mean? But like, she would say that about everything. Like, you only act like that because you're wearing those shoes. You would not act like that normally. And I'm like, like, so it was her basically telling me that she knows me better than myself. Whereas if I'm doing something, if I, or like, let's, like, I want to do music. She's like, you only want to do music because your sister wants to do music. Or you only want to do that because you saw this girl on TV that does that. Like, like I was never able to just express myself. And, like, I just like this. No, you don't like that because so-and-so likes it. That's not who you are. That's not what you like to do. And, like, you know, but it was hard. It was, it was really hard when you're getting all this messaging. And, but inside, I felt like, you know, no, like, I, I should know myself. It, it was just tough. So I did go through all that. Um, and, you know, I had that attempt. But the funny thing is, any time, I know we're going to talk more about this, and I haven't brought up my grandmother much before this, but, the only person that I ever believed really loved me and whose love I never questioned was my grandmother, my mother's mother. Um, and that is, and she honestly, just thinking of her is what would stop me a lot of times when I was, you know, having suicide ideation is that I don't want somebody to go to my grandmother and tell her that her favorite grandchild is no longer living. So, you know, you're going through this dark and troubled time when you are a probably like a junior in in high school. Um, mm-hmm. Eventually, you uh, graduate high school, and you're able to get out of the home, uh, go to university, and live away from home for the first time. So what was that experience like as far as 
reflecting about maybe things that you weren't able to reflect on before, if that was even possible then? Like, what is the feeling you have while you're out of the home at this point? Are you able to put a finger on things that are that were wrong or you just feel different? Yeah, so I moved out. No, I was kicked out of the house at 18, um, which my mother denies this conversation ever happening. Um, but my mother and I, right, right after my 18th birthday, began to an argument, and my brother, my brother was, was home um, from, from college then um, for the summer, and um, my mother calls us both and basically says, come get your stuff. Neither of you live here anymore. And we did. My brother and I went and got our stuff and moved out. Um, I actually ended up moving in with my grandmother, and my grandmother's address became my permanent address for when I was at college. So I lived with my grandmother um, my, for undergrad, all four years of undergrad. When I wasn't in the dorms, I was back in, in her house living with her, um, which my mother, of course, denies any of this ever happening, as if somehow I made that up. But okay. Uh, <laughs> she was like, I never said that. I never kicked you out. Why was I living with my grandmother? Like, why was I living at home with you? But anyway. Uh, um, so I, um, I think the big, when I, the really big mo- moment for me was moving for graduate school because I went to college for undergrad, like, 45 minutes um, away from, from where I lived in Chicago. It was, like, a 45-minute drive away, so, like, not that far. Um, so I think I was still having, I think I was still too close, like, if I can say it that way. Um, when I moved out of Chicago for grad school and I moved to New York, um, I, I think that was the first time, that was the first time that I had to completely rebuild my life, if that makes any sense. Like, living in Chicago and going to college in, um, in, in the Illinois area, like, I was still able to have access to, like, a lot of things, other elements of my life. I have a lot of friends. I still have close to family, still close to my church. Like, it was still, like, I still had access to a lot of that. When I moved to New York, I didn't know anybody in this whole state. Um, I had, you know, I just wanted to go, I wanted to go to grad school, and I went to the school, the school I wanted to go to. So, like, I, I had to literally rebuild my entire life. Like, I had to, like, find a dentist. Like, how do you find a dentist? Um, so, yeah, um, and I think that was the first time I was able to really think, well, how do I want my life to look? And I never really thought about that before. So being out here, I didn't really know. I didn't really notice anything, I guess, necessarily about my mother. I knew my mother and I didn't have a good relationship. That was really the only – anytime, like, I would explain that to somebody, I would say, I just have to compartmentalize my mom. And I remember even saying at some point that me moving away – made my relationship better with my mother. I remember saying that all the time because, like, I, w- I figured out the areas of my life that I could share with her, you know, because, like, my mother and I, we couldn't talk about romantic relationships because my mother has, talking to my mother, like, talk, trying to, like, talk to a brick wall. She has zero feelings. Like, like if I call my mother crying, I remember when I broke, broke up with my boyfriend that I was with for four years, I called her crying about it. She's like, ooh, you sound upset. You can call me back and get yourself together. So there was just no space. There's, there's no, there's no space for emotions or feelings. Like she can't do the field. So relationships been talked about, but like job stuff, she was into. You know, I could talk to her about job stuff. I could talk to her about, 
she loved the gossip. So I gossiped about somebody, she wanted to hear about it. So like, but, and I would do that. And I felt like maybe me moving away and having distance was actually better for us, the relationship. Cause I'm like, maybe I could actually build something with my mother now that I'm not there. So, Cause I really didn't see, I didn't see how problematic she was. I just didn't see it yet, you know, but being here, I was able to build a life with people that really loved me for me in in a way that I don't think I've ever really been able to before, but I also didn't believe it. I also lived in constant fear that it, that I would do something that it would all be taken from me. Like, I that was I always tell people like my biggest fear is that I'm gonna wake up one day and all my friends are gonna be gone. Or that they're gonna learn something about me or they're gonna get a little bit too close to me and see something that they just that they that they just can't deal with because I'm just too much to deal with. Um and that's a constant thing that I still kinda of battle sometimes, like even romantically. Like I'm the single I'm the most single person I've ever meet in your life. And part of that is because I'm just I'm afraid of that closeness because I'm like, because I've been told all my life that there's something that I have to change things in order to be accepted and honored in this world. So the fact that I was getting all these things, like I was getting these great jobs, I was getting promoted, I would have this huge gaggle of close friends and doing all these wonderful things, it meant, I felt like it was all happening because I was able to fool everybody because I've been pretending to be something my entire life. So somehow I just fooled all these people and they're going to really see the real me and all of this is going to go away. Um, so that was, that was kind of what it was like when I first moved out here. Um, and I was, I was still talking to my mom. I was still, you know, keeping her up to date on stuff. My mother shows her love, I guess, through what she can buy me. So she was always buying me things, paying for things, sending me money. That's the only way my mother knows how to like, I guess, show love in her way. But I'll think it's a way of kind of control. She, she uses her, her financial resources to control the people around her because then you become dependent on her. Um, she does that a lot with her, her siblings as well. So yeah, so my mother was sending me money. She was buying me stuff. She very rarely came to visit, like very rarely came to visit. Um, as she came for my grad, she came down, I think one time while I was in grad school and then she came for the graduation and that was, and she hated it the whole time. She complained about where I live. She complained about the city. She complained about everything. So I don't know how much fun she had, but whatever, she was there. My dad wasn't, so there's that. But anyway, <laughs> so yeah, so that was what it was like for me when I when I finally moved here to New York. So you're out of the house. You're doing mm-hmm. well for yourself. Your yeah. mom and you are relating better. You you start to figure out what you can relate on, and you're making it work within the context of that it's not that you're any closer to them but Mm-mm. it feels like it even though there's no real intimacy in that sense or no real closeness going on and while all of that is happening your identity is so backwards that you have imposter syndrome you don't feel like you deserve the things you have. You feel like a phony and you're living in a world where everything is suspect, including yourself. Um, 
and that right now, especially right there, that's a bad spot to be in. Uh, you know, you're deriving all of your self worth from outside of you, I assume. And, and so eventually that's going to crack. That'll crack anyone because you still don't know who you are. Uh, and you still haven't dealt with your family situation. So in a, in a strange way, you're, you know, you're this, you're lost. You're just lost. And, uh, there's going to be an event that you're about to discuss that eventually something happens and the beginning of changes with your relationship and you're with your fam, with your mom and other members of your family and the relationship with yourself is about to begin. Yeah. So the big thing that what really sort of set it off was the last um, couple of years. Um, so I've, I've been in New York, um, like I said, like since about, you know, like for about almost at this point, about eight years, eight or nine years I've been in New York. And um, my, my grandmother is getting older um, and she, you know, she's in her 90s uh, and she starts experiencing, um, you know, signs of dementia and um, and Alzheimer starts setting in, which it was sort of starting to before I moved away, but it wasn't like, you know, it wasn't really a concern. She's been living alone this whole time. She still lives, you know, by herself in her in her home. Um, she's, you know, but she's always been a tough person. She always calls herself a tough old broad because she is. Um, and, you know, but I think, so even before I left, things just started, started to get a little um, sketchy. Um, and I remember when I left, I was, you know, she, she really told me that, you know, it was okay to leave. Because, again, my grandmother and I are very close. Um, in many ways, she saved my life. She, and one funny story that my mother denies happening, actually, is that the day I was born and brought home from the hospital, my mother literally just gave me to her and was like, here's your baby. And, like, I stayed the first few days of my life in my grandmother's house with my grandmother. Um, my mom says it's because the air conditioning wasn't working in her house, and that's why I can always warm in the summer, and it's too hot. But I'm like, well, you just didn't want to raise me. But anyway, so, um, so anyway, but the big thing that happened, you know, so my mother asserts herself as, you know, I'm going to be the one to take care of mom. Like, she asserts herself, and she talks. And so she was saying how she's doing all this. She's hiring people. And I'm hearing everything secondhand. I'm hearing a lot of stuff from her about all the things she's doing. She's like, you know, your grandmother's doing okay. But, you know, she kept saying, like, well, you know, she might only have one more Christmas left. It might be the last Christmas she has. She's literally the same after the last 10 years, by the way. Like, my mother is so morbid. Um, but she's always like, yeah, you know, she might she might not be here next year. This, it's literally been a decade of the same. But anyway, what happened, though, so I'm off on a tangent, is that last in the middle of the pandemic, early in the pandemic, so in 20, mid-2020, mid um, my grandmother was diagnosed with uh, cancer. And that was one of the hardest phone calls I think I've ever had. My mom called me 
and tells me this, of course, with zero empathy, just kind of says it flat out. Um, because I think my mother's always kind of been envious of my relationship with her mother. Um, so she just kind of was like, yep. So, yeah, so, took your, so your mother, your grandmother's complaining about stomach pain, that's sick to the hospital. She's got cancer. I'm like, is that how you tell me this? <laughs> like, that's how you tell me this? Okay, great. So I'm a mess. I, my best friend, when I just mentioned, my best friend of 20 years, the one that my mother keeps telling me is no longer, is not going to be my friend one day, you know, we've been friends for 20 years. Um, I, ta- I, I call her. I tell her, like, I, I have to get to Chicago. I have to go. And my friend's like, let's get in the car. Let's drive. Because um, this is, the, you know, this is before people were really flying. I was still kind of iffy about flying, especially because if I'm going to see my grandmother with COVID, I didn't want to get on a plane. So we got in that car and drove the 10 plus hours, <laughs> or however it is, however long it was. Okay, I remember um, to go from New York to Chicago um, because I needed to be there with her. And in my mind, because my mother talks about all this stuff that she's been doing every day, my mother's like, yeah, I go over to her house every single day. I'm doing all this stuff to help your grandmother. So I'm thinking in my mind, I'm going to go and give my mother a break because my mother is doing so much because all of a sudden my mother calls me to do all the stuff she does for my grandmother every day, all the time. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to go give my mother a break. But I get there and I realize that it was all lies. Everything my mother told me was a lie. Um, she, so my, I go to my grandmother's house, and my grandmother is a very elegant woman, like always loved the finest of things, and, but very in a relatable way. But I'm, I'm in there, and my grandmother, had my, so my mother, did, my mother did hire people. She always hires and fires people every five minutes. My mother just hires whomever, paying them, like, 10 bucks an hour. I'm like, you can't get quality care for $10 an hour. Like, and also that's just not a livable wage for people, like on another thing, but like, so you're going to get $10 an hour worth of care. And it wasn't great. Like she's eating like frozen food off of paper plates, which is something that she would never do. Like my grandmother would never eat off a paper plate like that. My mother, I grew up eating off paper products. My mother never just we never, my mother just didn't care about stuff like that. She was just like, it's just easier to throw everything away. Mother just throw everything away kind of person. But anyway, so like, I just, and like there's, there's medicine vials all over the table. I'm asking the caregivers like, okay, well, what medicine does she take? And the caregivers are like, I think this is right because the medicine keeps changing, so I'm not sure. I'm like, so you're not even sure what medicine that she's supposed to take every day? And so then I'm asking, and then my, my grandmother also had a nurse that comes every week that's provided by her insurance. And the nurse is like, yeah, I've never met your mother. Like, I've never met her. And I'm like, how long have you been here? Been here like almost a year and you never met my mom. And my mom is the primary person. It's like, I just start seeing that things were just not right. <laughs> like, the stuff that she's, and she's telling me, and my brother had also said to me out of Chicago. So my brother no longer lives in Illinois. So, I'm like, okay. So I'm talking to my brother about this. I'm just like, do you do you know what's happening here? And he's like, yeah, mom says she's taking care of me. I'm like, she's not. Nothing is nothing is taking like nothing is being taken care of. Like everything here is a mess. Like, um. So 
I so what what was supposed to just be and when I moved when I got there I was like I'm only gonna stay for like a week or two because you know I was my my job was virtual at the time we were all virtual at the time so I was like I can probably stay for like a week or two but like I had did not think that I would need to move there but the longer I stayed the the more I was like I have to move back here because I I can't. I can't. Like, my grandmother needs better care, and I need to fix things. So I had the conversation with my, with my mom, and then I had one other aunt that did live there that, you know, and her, her reasoning for not being there more was, again, oh, well, I don't want to fight with your mother. And I'm like, so you're not here taking care of your own mother because you don't want to fight with your own sister. That logic makes sense to you. Okay, cool. Um, <laughs> that logic actually makes sense to me. It, it doesn't make sense to me. Like, how? Like <laughs> That logic, because I assume your, you know, your mom's been in charge of these things her whole life. She likes to be in control of things. And even if you do try and go and help... I assume it's just going to start being fight after fight after fight after fight and you want to help and you want to do something, but uh, there's just someone going to be blocking you the whole entire way. That's true. And that is true. Maybe I should be nicer to my aunt about that. Cause I mean that, and what you just said is how she explained it to me. Cause she's like, you know, I grew up with her. I shared a room with this girl. Like I, you know, she's like, I, it was just too much. It was too much on me to have to constantly fight with her. And so, so my aunt told me, she's like, I had already said goodbye to my mom. I knew that, like, if, if I knew that if my she said that she knew that if my mom basically came to care for my grandmother, that, that my grandmother would die very soon. Um, but she just felt, she didn't feel empowered enough to take my mother on. And, and I mean, and that was something I think that I struggled with and I did have a lot of resentment for my aunt with that because, but you're right, you know, she just, I think she just, you know, got worn out from the, from fighting. And, but for me, I'm just like, but like, I just, I don't know. Like, I just, I just, I just, this is my grandmother. And again, like, I, I, owe, I feel like I owe so much to her that I will stand in the line of fire if it means protecting her. Um, because she, I, I didn't, because I didn't, maybe because I didn't have my mother to stand in the line of fire for me. And I didn't feel like anybody really stood in the line of fire for me, except my grandmother in a way. So I, so to me, I'm just like, I would do anything. And I don't care I, if, if it takes, because I feel like, what's my mother really going to do? What's she going to do? Like, like I mean, and that's what, that's, I had to learn that too, because I was also afraid of my mother. until so I realized like, what can she actually do to me? Wow. Nothing. But, um, but yeah, but I, I get what you're saying. Um, and I think that that is what my, my aunt also agreed with. She just didn't want to argue. Yeah. Like I don't want to invalidate like your experience of it at all. I would just, you know, just in the sense of if, if that, if your aunt's experience of your mom over 60 years plus, is of constant uh, fighting and then con- and maybe constant losing, 
um, then the psyche there might just be to not even engage at all. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, and honestly, like you saying that is exactly kind of what's happening um, with my aunt and like with my mom sibling. They just sort of disengaged from her um, because you're right. I mean, they've been doing this for 60 years, like, (laughs) you know. So what what happens with your relationship with your mom when you take everything on? So I end up moving uh, back to Chicago. Um, I broke my lease here in New York. Um, thankfully, my job is amazing, and they're wonderful people, and they told me, like, you know, because I told them the situation, um, and they told me, you know, go – like your job is safe. You can stay remote as long as we as to stay stay in Chicago as long as we need to. And I did. So I, I moved back with the intent in my mind, I'm like, I will stay a year. Um, so I officially like so I first went went back in like right after Thanksgiving, I wanna say. Um, so like Thanksgiving of twenty twenty. And then I came back to New York and I would say, like, what was it, March maybe? And that's when I essentially, like, broke my lease, moved my stuff out, put it all in storage, whatever. Then went back and moved in, moved into the, the guest bedroom, which actually used to be my bedroom when I was living with her. I uh, so moved back into my old bedroom um, <laughs> with, with, my, with my grandmother. Um, at first, my mother was really supportive of everything I was doing um, because she saw it as bragging rights for her. But she would put things in the family chat all the time, like, oh, look at what my daughter is doing. Like, Storm's doing such a good job, and I'm so proud of her. Like, she was using me as, like, an extension of her. Anytime, like, if she would try to get, like, so I didn't have one aunt that was helping me a lot. Like, we were switching off. Like, if I needed to do something for work or if I just needed a break, or whatever, like, she would come over and sit with my grandmother for me so I could do what I needed to do. So, like, we were, and also because, like, you know, I work a lot, a traditional nine-to-five, so a lot of things I do during the day. So, like, so like she would kind of, we would kind of switch off a lot. She was really, like, my, like, my second-in-command for everything um, because I was the buffer between her and my mother. Um, so, and my mother was good, literally good. Um, she... She never came over, um, never paid for anything. That's the other thing Mother kept saying, that she was in so much debt for all the things that she was buying. But, like, my grandmother's income covered everything. It covered the expense of the caregivers. It covered her, her bills. It covered her food. It covered a lot. It covered everything. So I'm like, what are you? So, so my mother literally was doing nothing. But because I was doing it, it was like her doing it. And she kept trying to tell me not to trust my aunt that was helping me like she's like you know you can't she's like no I know her you you know she's gonna try to get you on her side but like you know we're the ones doing all the work we're the ones that have been doing all this work the whole time so like you can't always you know just she's gonna she's gonna um, you can't really trust her she's gonna lose her steam pretty soon she starts out strong and she loses steam so like just be aware of that and I don't want because the family's gonna try to put everything on you the way they put everything on me, and they can't. And, we, and like she kept trying to get me to be like, 
I'm her, basically. I'm an extension of her, you know? Well, right here, this is really interesting because you unknowingly are a pawn on a chessboard and you are being used. You, you are, you came into this, you heard what your aunt had to say and you decided to stand up and, you know, kind of take on your mom. But instead of having someone who's going to repel you away, she looked at you as a way to get back at her uh, siblings and use you in a way to show how things are getting done and to show what a team player is really like Mm -hmm. and how they aren't team players. And you were used in that situation as far as um, that goes. And um, it's, that's really interesting. Were you able to see that like in the moment or did it take you a while to figure that out? It took me a while to figure it out. Like I've always, I, in a way I kind of knew that like my mom was just using me for bragging rights and just use, so like, but I just, you know, I always had the whole time I was there. I'm like, I want to keep my focus on my grandmother because I don't want to let my issues with my mom cloud my judgment. I don't want to let, you know, so, like, I, I was kind of like her. I was better. I was like, if this is what my mother wants to do, then fine. I, I have a therapist. I work it out in therapy. Like, I, <laughs> you know, I, I just wanted to, like, I, I was just really trying not to let it get to me because I wanted to stay focused on the goal, which is to make sure my grandmother got the best care possible and that I could help turn things around for her. Um, so at the time, I sort of realized it, but I sort of didn't. Um, and I, I don't know. I, I just, it was hard. It was hard to like, cause it was hard to be made to feel like I, my mother was like proud, quote unquote proud of me, but it was really like, she's proud of herself because, you know, she's like, look at what my, this is me. My child is doing it. It's all about her at the end of the day, you know? And she wants to, like you said, like use me as a pawn to like show off to her other everyone else around her like look at all the great things that my child is doing you know and I think when I really started to notice and like really see like the the something like is it right was I had a conversation with my mom um the what my mother again she only came over the first three months I was there my mother came over twice one of them was for Christmas um, so never came over. And, and so I said that, I was like, why do you never come over here? Like, you know, I was like, did you just, cause I was like, either, either one, you used to come over cause you told me how you could come over here every day. So either one, you used to come over here every single day. And now you feel like you don't need to anymore because I'm here. Or two, you actually never used to come over and you were just lying to me. And I don't know which one is worse. Um, so I asked her that I was like you know because you tell me that you were here every day but now you're never here and the the caregivers that we've hired say that you you know like I'm just not understanding what's going on and mother looks me dead in my face and is like I'm here all the time what are you talking about and I'm like 
what? <laughs> She's like, I'm here all the time. I'm here all the time. I'm like, no, you're not. You've been, I've been here for three months. You've been here twice. And one of them was a holiday. And she's just like, like, you're, you're acting like, you're acting like I'm never here. And I'm like, you're never here. Like, I'm not making, like, I'm like, what are you, like, I'm like, not, I'm getting mad. Cause I'm like, you're never here. Like, what are you talking about? You're never here. And like, and then and she's looking at me, she's like, and of course she's like, well, you should not, you're, you're being disrespectful. Like, I will not be disrespected. Like you are, you know, like you're making things up. You're trying to make me look bad. And I'm, I take, no one takes, she goes to the cold ramp of how nobody takes care of grandmother the way that I take care of her. And I am in so much debt right now because of her. And I'm like, no, you're not. Because that's the other thing is like, because my mother trusted me because she, again, this, this, is, this is the other thing that I realized because like my mother saw me as an extension of her. And my mother's also lazy. That's the thing about her. She wants all the credit, but none of the work. So a lot of, I put up with a lot because I wanted her access. I wanted access to things. And I knew that she would give it to me if she got all the credit for it. That's what it's like when you grow up with a master manipulator. You know how to manipulate them. So I had access. So I became in control of my grandmother's finances. Um, and so that's the thing, because my mother didn't want to go through the, the whole thing of paying her bills for her sister and the third. So I was like, I will pay her bills. I will buy her groceries. I will do all of this. Um, and that was when I realized, looking back on bank statements, that the other members of the family were giving money to my grandmother for my grandmother's care, and my mother was the only one that wasn't doing it. And But my, the way my mother tells it is she pays for all the groceries. She pays for everything, and she's in... She, she's like, and that's what she will miss rant about this day. She's like, I'm in tens of thousands of dollars in debt because I spent all this money on your grandmother. And I also find it funny that she never calls her her mother. She always says your grandmother, which is also very interesting. Um, and I'm just like, what money? I was like, okay, well, Ma, if I got it wrong, what, what money? Tell me, what have you paid for? Please tell me, the, what have you paid for? Show me the receipt. You know, and she just like gets mad at me. She just and she just get up and walk away. She's like, "You're being, you're you're acting crazy right now, and I can't talk to you, and you're acting hysterical." And I'm like, "I'm just asking for clarity. If I have something wrong, please tell me." And this in this moment, in this moment of listening to her, and and of course I'm also getting emotional. So I'm an emotional person, and that's my, and that's. And that's something that I've sort of trained myself to not be around her because I know the moment she sees tears, that's it. She shuts down. She can't have a conversation with someone who's crying because she can't, she doesn't respect emotion. And if I show emotion, she's just like, this too much. You're being too much. You're being too emotional. You're acting crazy. And that's what happened is I ended up, I was trying to talk to her and I was getting, and I could feel the tears coming up and I was trying to hold them back. I knew like, as soon as I start crying, she's going to, She's going to shut down. She's going to, she's, it's going to invalidate everything I'm saying. Um, and so she starts to try to get up and leave. And I'm just like, all I'm in, and my mother, again, is calling me disrespectful, saying I'm out of line, saying that I'm being rude just by asking her a question of where her, where her money is supposedly going. I'm being rude, disrespectful. And then she starts to get up and leave. And I'm just like, why don't you care about your own mother? Like, why? And then she's like, you're acting like I'm, you act like I don't care about her when I'm the only one that cares for her. And I'm like, you don't care about your own mother. 
you think I'm being disrespectful and all I'm asking you to do is to care about your own mother. That's it. And, but because she just couldn't, and so she literally at this point just gets up and leaves. Doesn't even say anything to me. She's like, just, I'm done. And just gets up and leaves. And I'm just like, <laughs> I'm like, and I'm sitting here like, she truly like, and that, that was when I was like, no, I, I'm not crazy. <laughs> She's like, I'm not crazy. Like, and at that point, like, I really had to, at some point, I did, I went back and looked at bank statements again for the last year, and I'm like, I'm not crazy. Like, what did she pay for? What, what, like, where, like, she's not, like, I'm like, and I'm, and that's the thing, like, it's like you feel like you need someone else or something else to validate your experience. Like, I really was like, was she here? Did I, like, and I, and, and thinking that was like, oh, no, shit, this, like, girl, <laughs> The fact that, like, I'm, like, I, I know she hasn't been here. Like, I know she hasn't. But that's, that's the kind of gaslighting that I've experienced in my life. And I realized it in this one argument with her. And then to make matters worse, my mother goes home and sends me this long-ass email. Sorry, I don't know if I can swear on the show. But sends me this long email about telling me that she forgives me. Because she knows that, you know, mental health issues run in our family, which they do. Um, her oldest brother actually um, had schizophrenia, and she brought that up and was like, we all know how your uncle was schizophrenic, so you might be experiencing some signs of that where you think what you're saying is true, but it's not really true. Because some of the things that your uncle would say, he would really believe were true, but they're not real. So I know that you think you're, you're doing the right thing here. So I forgive you because you think that what you're doing is right. And it was in that moment where I was like, my mother is, there's something wrong with this woman. <laughs> like she literally called me a schizophrenic. What is most interesting to me is this just wasn't what, like this one moment of your life here is so many manipulation tactics wrapped up into all of it. Like, I was like, uh, I mean, from different types of gaslighting, blame shifting, um, minimization, justification, uh, to now using, you know, trying to really gaslight your um, sense of your, your... your ability to uh, think, your actual mental health with schizophrenia, to question your own sanity. And there's so many other little things in there that she did to flip things around uh, that, that you just named too many of them. Like that's how crazy <laughs> that, that, that was, that little flurry of punches from all different directions and all different types of tactics in one swoop. That is confusing, uh, beyond confusing, because it's coming from so many different angles. It's like every angle your mom had, she used everything in her arsenal. Yeah. And, and it's even hearing you say that, it's, it's so wild to you because, like, this, I don't know, I don't think I've ever really have somebody analyze it in that way, but this is what a conversation was like with her often. 
Like, I remember my friends would tell me, like, well, why don't you just talk to your mother? Why don't you just tell her? I'm like, this is why, because this is, and I remember, I'm like, it's exhausting. I was nervous so exhausted after talking to her all the time, but this is what, this is why. Like, I think in what you just said, like, I didn't even think about that. Like, all these different sort of tactics, and it's like, it feels like that. It feels like a barrage of weaponry when I'm trying to talk to her. And, like, and like that's why sometimes, like, I, I wouldn't confront her on a lot of things because it just, it was so hard. It was, it was so exhausting. And you're seeing all she has. And this time, unlike the rest of her life, none of those punches are getting through. And you're understanding exactly who you're dealing with. You're seeing it all laid out for you for, in yeah. a way for the very first time. Yeah. And I think that's what it was. It was just like, you know, I'm older now, you know, I'm not a teenager. I've lived a world away from her. I've lived in a world of my own creation. And now trying to go, be, it's like, it's like you can't put the toothpaste back in the tooth. You know, it's like now that I'm back and I'm seeing, and she's been like this my whole life. So she's just doing what she's always done. But I'm different. And now I have a new life. And now I'm able to see, like, you know, I'm able to logic and reason. And I think, and I think that's what was helpful. If I didn't have exact, like, like if I didn't have, like, bank records that I can look at to show that she was making this up. You know what I mean? And if I wasn't the person that was in control of my of my grandmother's money and her health, like that's the other thing. Like I switched her diet completely around, and my mother has her own issues with food, which I will give. My mother has some a lot of. She's been overweight her whole life. She's had bariatric surgery. Why to get the surgery, by the way? But that's another thing. Um, and. So she, so food is a whole touchy subject in itself when it comes to her. But like, I switched my, because my grandmother's been asking to be vegetarian this whole time. She's like, I don't want to eat meat anymore. My mother doesn't care. She's feeding her whatever. And I switched my grandmother's whole diet. My grandmother's stomach pains, when my grandmother was having horrid stomach pains like daily. None of that has happened anymore when I was living there. Her, all of her, her blood pressure went down. All of her labs were better. Even her doctor, not the other thing, like her doctor, her PCP told me, especially once she started dealing with me, she, was, she told me she didn't, want, she didn't want to deal with my mother anymore. My mother, first of all, when she would, my mother would sometimes go to appointments and leave my grandmother there. And I didn't know that she was doing that because until the doctor told me, and my grandmother backed it up because I went to, to her appointment with her, and my grandmother was like, you're not going to leave me, are you? I was like, why would I do that? She's like, well, you know your mother. She can't be, she can't be bothered to be in here. And I'm like, who drops a 90-something-year-old woman off at the doctor's home with Alzheimer's? Who does that? Like, she can barely remember she got her breakfast this morning. Like, <laughs> so, but, her, but my grandmother's own doctor said that to me, too. She's like, I don't want to deal with, with your mother anymore. And, like, I had these, these things right in front of me because again I need I always need outside validation for things that I'm seeing before me. So the fact that I had a nurse or her in home nurse is telling me that your mother literally I've never met her. I have bank records and I and I have the experience of managing my grandmother's money to show 
that my grandmother's income can cover all of my grandmother's expenses. I have the doctor telling me that my grandmother's health has been improving dramatically since I've taken over things. The doctor is telling me this, and the doctor is telling me she no longer wishes to deal with my mother. I have, like, I, I, I have, like, these pieces of the puzzle are coming together now because so it's like, this isn't me. Other people are other people are seeing the same thing that I'm seeing. And the other thing that started happening was seeing the way that my mother talks to my grandmother and how she also tries to alter her reality, which is easy to do, because my grandmother has to rely on other people to frame her reality because, again, she has Alzheimer's and she knows she has Alzheimer's. Like she's not one of the people that doesn't know what's going on. She fully is aware that she has Alzheimer's and her memory is bad. So she'll ask a question, and I've seen my mother lie to her and say things that are not true because she has that power to do that. And it's like I think just seeing all of this is like, oh, my God. It was like, and I, I think I said this before, but it was like seeing in color for the first time in my life. And I'm just like, you're not a good person. Like, oh, my God. Like, like. It was, like, mind-blowing to me. Like, it was, like, I just was, like, whoa, like, all the things that you're doing, you should do this to me. You did this to my sister. You scapegoated my sister. You did, like, you know, because my sister used to tell me, and my sister used to call me sometimes in the middle of the night, like, what happened to me happened to me. That happened. And, she, and I never understood why she would say that. I'm, like, why, why? you think I don't believe? She's like, because she would say, like, that happened to me. That happened to me. Because my mother would gaslight my sister so much and tell her the things that the abuse that my sister experienced being the scapegoat in my house, my mother would tell her that never happened, that never happened. And my mother said, would say that to me. Now I get what my sister was trying to say. She didn't have the language. I have the language now. And, like, I, I don't know. It was just, like, this aha moment of, like, oh, my God. Like, and all these memories started flooding back of, like, situations that I had been in with her, like, the way, that, the way that she would talk to me and, like, the way that she would manipulate my own, like, my reality, because, like, I'm literally watching her do this to her own mother, who is incapable of framing her own reality for herself, the same way that I was when I was a child. It was just, it was crazy to see that. It was literally, like, wild. So how did things unravel from there? That was when I was like, I can no, I can't. I'm like, I can't talk to her anymore. I can't. I'm just done. I'm like, and it was it was a hard choice to make because again, I already have I already have a terrible relationship with my dad, and it's like, you know, how do you become the kid that can talk to their parents? You know, like, and then there's a part of you that worries, am I going to regret this? You know, and you always have to think, what if they die tomorrow? How would I feel? So it wasn't easy to make that decision to say that I can no longer talk to her because again it's, it's, this is at the end of the day she is kind of a parent that stayed like she is you know it wasn't great um you know but there's things that she did do you know I did go to good schools I did live in a you know very middle class area I did you know have you know she bought me a lot of stuff because that's what she did it's like I, I had things like you know I'm not going to act like it was bad 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And I think that's what made it even more difficult to see because that's what my mother would do. She would say things like, 
you know, you always have the latest sneakers and you always, you know, I'm buying this and doing this for you. Your life isn't so bad. Like, she will always tell me that my life is not so bad and that I'm making her out to be a villain when she's not. Because it's true. There are people that were worse off. I've listened to your show, you know. Like, I've heard situations with people with food insecurity and, you know, and other horrible, like, physical and sexual abuse that I was blessed to not experience. So it made it feel like I was just overreacting to, to these things. And so I had to battle that, too. Maybe I'm overreacting. Maybe I'm, you know, because my life wasn't this horrible, horrible experience, but it wasn't great either. And so I decided that I would just, you know, I blocked her from my email, but I did not block her number in my phone. Um, and I just decided I would only, I would try to minimize contact as much as possible rather than like fully cutting her off I was like because also I need to talk to her because legally she is the power of attorney for my grandmother how she got to be the power of attorney is also very such no one really knows kind of how that happened but legally she is so I have to talk to her about something um but after that moment when my mother realized that I was no longer a pawn that she could use then she started actively trying to reverse every, all the good things that I had done. Um, I had hired a new caregiver. My mother was hiring and firing caregivers every five minutes because either they said something she didn't like one day or, like, she – just for dumb reasons. Also because, again, my mother never would go and check on these caregivers. She would never go and, make, and, and supervise, make sure things were going well because she never came over. But so anyway, we needed a new one. I hired one that I loved. That was wonderful. My mother started having problems with her out of nowhere, literally out of nowhere. She would literally try to sabotage everything that I was doing. Um, so I was using my mother's car. My mother has two cars. I didn't have a car when I was back home. So I was using one of my mother's cars the whole time to take my grandmother places. And that was the first thing, of course, that my mother took away from me when I started defying her. But she was like, well, give me my car back. So then I became, I was no longer able to take my grandmother anywhere or to go grocery shopping for her or to, get, you know, to do the things that I was able to take care of. But that was the first thing she did was, of course, giving my car back. Giving her car back. So now I'm like, okay, we'll see the doctor's appointment. Are you going to take her? Are you going to sit in there with her and talk to the doctor? <laughs> Like, because I no longer have the ability to do that. So that, so right, I'm still kind of in this, to be honest with you. My mother is still trying to undo a lot of the things that I've done. She did manage to um, get rid of my, the old caregiver that I had. So it, it, it's just been a constant. All this to say is, I feel like I'm going on a tangent now, but all this to say is like, yeah, it's been a total fight to try to retain everything that I've done. Because now I dare to defy her, which means that I'm her enemy. So now everything that I have done that has made my grandmother healthy and happy, my mother is now trying to undo all of that and reverse it, which is wild that we're literally playing with someone's health. But that's what my mother is doing, is playing with her health to undo all the stuff that I did. So now that you truly see who she is for what she really is, and you see your 
role throughout the years and your value to her and how you're used throughout your whole entire life, what will your relationship be like with your mom after your grandmother passes away? And have you put out feelers to your aunts and uncles as far as support goes or understanding what has actually happened, such as the enemy of my enemy is my friend and kind of put feelers out there in that way because you also don't want to be used by them just in case their health isn't 100%. And uh, then as far as you go, as a person who struggles with identity and the reality of what your life was, this is a big bubble right here in the last two years to pop as far as, oh, oh my God, this is what is, this is real. This is, this is the, this is the reality. So where do you go after all of this mentally? And how do you take care of yourself? And what are the steps you're going to take to rediscover who you are for the first time, if that makes sense. And I know that's a, a lot of questions in one, but do, <laughs> okay. do, do your best. I, I think I got it. Um, to answer the first question, um, you know, now that I've, the, the one thing that has helped um, affirm my decision to not speak to her about anything as this, I don't talk, right now what I'm doing is I don't talk to her unless that's something directly to do with my grandmother and to the point where she knows that she has to text me before she calls me to tell me the nature of the conversation first because I'm like, I'm not dealing with her anymore. She has tried to call me about stuff. She'll start talking to my grandmother. Then she'll go into some other rant and I have to hang up on her. So, um, so what the thing that's helped me to know that this was the right decision is that the, the, now that I don't speak to her, I actually feel better about myself and my life. You know, like, I feel like I should feel worse. You know, if it's like, I mean, you know, like if you're not talking to your, your mother for a while, you'll start to, you know, you want to, you miss her. You want to tell her things. You want to, I don't feel that way. I actually feel like a burden has been lifted from me by not speaking to her, which also makes me feel kind of, crappy because like your mother shouldn't be a burden to you so I feel like guilty in the you know philosophical sense but like I I feel I feel closer to who I am as a person by not constantly engaging with her which means that she was the problem I was never the problem um and I've asked myself that same question about you know whenever that day happens and my grandmother's no longer around, um, which, you know, hopefully is far off in the future. I mean, she's in her 90s. I know that. But, like, still far away in the future because I can't think about her not being here. Um, I, 
I've asked myself that a lot, actually. Um, I I don't see a reason for us to. I don't. I I don't think I can talk to her ever. I don't know. I don't know. I don't want to say ever because you never know what happened in the future. But like, I just don't see us. Because like the fact that I'm continuously growing and being better and bettering myself without her. Like, it just, I don't know, for me, that's the thing that keeps me going, you know, that this was the right choice. Um, and it's funny because my brother still talks to her, and so my brother tells me, you know, a little bit what's going on. And it's, it's also funny because my brother talks, my mom tells my brother that she and I talk and that we're so good. She's like, oh, she was so good. I'm so proud of her. This, that, and this. I'm like, she didn't even talk to me. How about her? Like, what? Like, it's insane. Like, do you not think my brother and I speak? Like, whatever. Um, right now, all I'm focusing on, all that's important to me in this world is my grandmother. And I will do whatever I have to to make sure that she gets the best end-of-life care possible. Um, what I'm trying to not do, which is why I ended up ultimately moving back to New York a few months ago, because I was falling apart the stress of fighting against my mother constantly on top of, I mean, the fact that being a caregiver is hard on its own. Like caring for somebody in their nineties with Alzheimer's is hard on its own. Realizing the mortality of the most important person in your life is hard on its own. And on top of all that, I had to fight against someone who wishes to do that same person harm who also happens to be my mother. All of those things wrapped up was just completely weighing on me. And to the point where I even had to have, I had a conversation with my own grandmother and we decided it would be best that I come back here and try to fight from the sidelines because I was not, I was drinking too much. I was eating too much. I was spending too much. <laughs> um, I was doing all these horrible things just to try to keep going um, so now I'm back in New York and I, and I go back to Chicago pretty routinely, but I don't stay longer than a week. Um, so I don't know. I'm, I think the next thing I'm trying to do is now that I see this, now that I see what's, what's right before me is I'm in therapy. Um, I finally got medicated for anxiety and depression and continue to focus on my growth and mental health and just try to keep as much separation from my mom until I'm in a place where I feel comfortable enough and solid enough in my own identity. Um, because now I'm starting to believe that the, and I've gotten a lot of people that have shown me that like I can be celebrated just as I am. Like I don't have to change for anybody. Um, I've been, and, and that not only that I don't have to, that I've been celebrated for the person that I am. Like, I wouldn't have everything that I have right now if, you know, if I, like I, I've been this person this whole time and I've been able to get friends, get an amazing job, get, you know, accolades, get support, have hobbies, go travel. I've been able to do this because I'm the person that I am, you know, not in spite of it. So I think it, it also helped me to look back on my life and say, hey, my life actually hasn't been that bad. I actually do have a pretty decent life. I just couldn't see it before because I couldn't believe that it was real. And if you have any words of wisdom or advice for people going through the same thing, what would it be? 
Um, you know who you are. You know who you are. Even if it feels like, even if you have other people telling you that you don't, you know exactly who you are. And the world can love you and celebrate and honor you for the, the things that you do and for the person that you are. Um, find those little things that you feel like yourself, even if it's tiny, even if it's a pair of shoes, even if it's a song, even if it's a hobby, find those little things that make you feel like you and protect and hold on to them. Um, and, you know, you got to just trust yourself. Trust yourself. That's, that's the thing. Like, you know, you're worthy of being trusted. There's nothing inherently about you that makes you not trustworthy or that makes your judgment somehow not as good as someone else's perception. Um, yeah, that would be the biggest advice I would give. Well, Storm, I really just want to thank you for being here with us today. You did a great job today telling your story. And you're going to help a lot of people. So thank you so much for being here. No, thank you so much for having me and giving me the space and the platform to tell my story. Hopefully it, it helps someone. It will. And if you want to be a guest on our show like Storm was today, please do go to our website at Narcissist Apocalypse. Dot com. At the top of the page, there's a button there that says Guest Form. Click on that button. It takes you to our Guest Form page. Please read the instructions and either fill out our Guest Form form or send us an email at NarcissistApocalypse at gmail.com. Also at our website, we have our very own safe social network. So if you need some extra support, please do go there. We have Zoom meetings every Wednesday night and Saturday night every other Thursday afternoon. We also have forum boards there for you to ask questions, get support as well. We have episodes that never made it to air. We have follow-up uh, sorry, we episodes that made it to. <laughs> I'm screwing up everything I'm saying. We have episodes that uh, never made it to air. We have ad-free episodes as well. So please do join our support group. If you just want to join our support group, it just supports the show. We can take all the support we can get. So please do join our support group. And uh, if you need even more support, please do go to our friends at DomesticShelters.org. At DomesticShelters.org, you can find articles and resources that can help you make sense of what you are experiencing. They can connect you with local resources like shelters, and they can help you find ways to heal and move forward. So please do go to DomesticShelters.org to access this free resource today. And now, that is it. So from myself and Storm, we hope... You have a good night.